So this morning, we do begin a new series together called The Body of Christ, Partnership and Service in the Local Church. And as to why we're doing this series, it's because we just finished the book of Galatians, which was primarily right about the gospel and how we are saved and okay and loved in Jesus alone. But now it's helpful for us to think about, okay, so once we know Jesus and we trust and love him and we're trying to walk by his spirit, things Galatians talked about, what does that mean in our lives? And a big part of that is really being part of and being the church. Really being part of and being the church. Because if the gospel of Jesus' is, is good news of salvation, then the church is the sphere where Jesus plans for his followers, for those who know his gospel to live in. And on this topic, last year we did focus on this for a short time as well. We did our We Are the Church and the Lord's Work and the Lord's Way series where we talked about church membership and church structure. But now this year we're adding to that and doing a slightly different series focusing on the body of Christ. And honestly, the reason for doing so, another series on the church, is first because, well, it's always helpful to really see from God's word what being the church entails, since there's a lot of confusion about that and we gather all the time. But then also, as for us and where we are as a church here at ECC, a good amount of people who now attend here are newer and weren't here last year. But, but not only that, but wouldn't it also be great if most of us in this room, and some people who couldn't even be here this morning, most of us who now attend here at ECC didn't just gather together once a week, but we all really understood and, and tried to live in the unity and relationships and love that we're to have with one another in a church in our lives. Because that is, by God's grace, happening a lot more here at this church. But seeing even more clearly what it means to be the church, to be the body of Christ from God's word, I hope will help us, will stir us to love and serve and go deeper with one another. And so that's what we'll be talking about in this series. And finally, though, what we'll be doing in God's word throughout this series is we'll primarily be going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 12 through the end of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13, 13. And then after this series, just for those of you who are curious, we do plan, if the Lord wills, to go to an Old Testament book after this. But from now to start the fall, we'll spend time talking about being Christ's body. But all that said, for this morning, though, to begin this series, and really to start this whole passage of 1 Corinthians 12, we're simply going to ask one overarching question this morning. One overarching question, and it's hinted at in the message title in your bulletins. And the question is, what does you are the body of Christ mean? Mean in the Bible and mean you and me. And we're asking it that way rather than just saying, what is the body of Christ? Because that you are the body of Christ quote is actually a statement that Paul writes later on in 1 Corinthians 12. And so to see it for yourself, just skim with your eyes already to 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where that verse starts with, now you are the body of Christ. And hearing that, right, if you've been in a church for some time, I'm sure you've, you've heard that before, that the church is the body of Christ. But still, have you ever stepped back and wondered, huh, I mean, how can that be? <laughs> I mean, what, what does that even mean? 
Because let's be clear, Paul, who, who remember, clearly taught throughout the whole book of Galatians that Jesus was and is real. He's a person who came, lived, died, rose, and is coming back. For Paul and the other apostles to believe all that and then to say that we're Christ's body is no small thing. I mean, it's even strange. And so the question is, what does that mean? How can he say, you are the body of Christ? And for us at ECC, how are we the body of Christ? Not just in word, but in some sort of reality. That's what we'll be answering this morning. Which all then finally brings us to an outline of how we will answer that question this morning. So as you heard in the scripture reading, technically, this morning we're just going to cover verse 12 from this passage. But that's because we're also going to go to a few other places in the New Testament to answer this question as well. And so that said, this morning we will have three sections together. Three sections. First, before we do come to verse 12 here, we're going to go to a couple other places in the New Testament to help us see what the Bible means by you are the body of Christ. And then second, we will come to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 here and to see what it means. And then third and finally, we will bring everything we've seen together and really answer and apply what does you are the body of Christ mean. And we'll especially see what it means for us. And so in summary this morning, first, a couple other places in the New Testament. Second, what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 12. And then third, we'll bring everything together, seeing what the body of Christ, us being the body of Christ, means, and especially means for you and for me. But that said, then let's then begin our first section. And here again, we're going to a couple other places in the New Testament to understand how we are the body of Christ. And as for these passages, remember your place in 1 Corinthians if you're there. But I do encourage you to turn now with me to these passages so you can especially see this for yourself in God's word. So first, if you can, turn with me to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. If you're in 1 Corinthians 12, keep a finger there, but Ephesians should be only about 20 pages or so to the right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be starting in verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 19. 20 pages or so to the right in your Bibles. And we are going to be picking up in the middle of this, a sentence here, but just so you know, Paul here is praying And he's applying the gospel, the gospel we went over in Galatians for a while, he's applying the gospel of Jesus to this church. And he says this, so Ephesians 1, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. He's praying that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So obviously there's a lot in there, but for our purposes in starting to answer, what does you are the body of Christ actually mean? Notice just a couple things quickly from this passage. First, notice what Paul says about the gospel and God and Christ in those first verses, verses 19 through 21. Because hearing that and skimming even again with your eyes, you can see in verse 19, the, the prayer is that we may believe, that those of us who may believe may know God's power, his ability towards us. And then in verse 20, it's clear that God works towards us powerfully because of Christ, because Christ in history was raised from the dead for us. 
And then in verse 21, it's clear that Christ is actually risen to the point, let's be clear, where he right now has all authority. And and I want us to see that first because that's basically the gospel. That's the good news. We are okay and loved and known and saved and secure in Jesus Christ and faith. We we access that through faith in him alone because of his death and resurrection in history. And that means Jesus is alive and reigning right now in reality. So that's the gospel. But then second on this passage, what's so fascinating is that in that same context, right after that, Paul writes verses 22 and 23. And so, yes, we are secure in Jesus and he is reigning. But then Paul adds that in Christ's reign, he's given his head over all things to the church, meaning he loves and leads his church. But then he says, which is his body? (laughs) Which in a way comes out of the blue. Because that means Christ reigns and has all authority and specifically he loves and leads his church. And that makes sense. But then in that context, the Bible also decides to say that the church is his body. And that may sound confusing, because it kind of is. But I think seeing that helps us right away start to understand this phrase, the body of Christ. And to be honest, this may sound very basic, but it's also very important to get. And that's that. So an answer to this, what does the body of Christ mean? Well, first, let's be clear that it doesn't mean that Jesus Christ no longer has a physical body himself. It does not mean that. That's basic, but it's important to get because I have heard, and maybe you've heard, people make comments like, well, yeah, Jesus lived, died, and rose in a body, but now we only are his body. But that's not true. Biblically, Jesus Christ in reality is still the God-man. He died on the cross in his body. He rose in his body. He reigns in his body, and he's coming back in his physical body. It's basic, but we do need to understand that. But also then, this passage helps see that that being true, still, we the church are, in a sense, Christ's body. And we'll talk about that more later. And specifically on that, since it is the church that is his body, this also shows us that Christ's body is not each one of us individually. Rather, his body is the church, meaning it is his people assembled. Because to be clear, and we'll talk about this later as well, the word church in the Bible, in Greek, ekklesia, is literally just the word for people assembled or gathered. And so that's Ephesians 1. It helps us see basically that Christ still has a body and we though, his church, his people gathered, are his body in a sense as well. But now to see one more on this from one other place in the New Testament before we go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 8 if you can. Acts chapter 8. This will be about 50 pages or so now to the left in your Bibles and we'll read some verses from Acts 8 and Acts 9. So Acts chapter 8. And we'll start in verse 3. And as for the book of Acts, as you might know, this book in your Bible is a history of the very early Christian church. And as for where we are in Acts 8 and in Acts 9 in a minute, we're about to read some verses from before and then from during Paul's conversion to Christ. And remember, at this time, Paul is going by his Hebrew name, Saul. And as you hear these verses, just so you know, the word body will not actually occur. But once we read both passages, I think you'll see how this has a lot to do with us, the church, being Christ's body. 
So we'll start in Acts 8, just verse 3. So look down your Bible and notice what Luke, the writer of Acts, says here. Acts 8, 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So that seems like a simple verse to understand. But we read it first because just notice for our purposes who Saul is ravaging. It's the church. Right? He was persecuting the church, which will connect to something in a minute. But then second, and, and helpfully through Luke's narration here, the second half of this verse also shows us that the church isn't some strange theoretical entity, but Saul was ravaging the church, and that meant he was dragging men and women off to prison. It wasn't about some institution. He was dragging individual people off to prison. And again, I know that's simple, but in this verse then, We have, number one, that Paul is persecuting the church, or Saul at this time, and number two, that the church is made up of men and women. So it's simple. That's Acts 8, 3. But with that now, now turn with me to Acts 9, verses 4 and 5. Acts 9, 4 and 5. So maybe just a page or so to your right in your Bibles. The next chapter, Acts 9, verses 4 and 5. And now, this is Saul, Paul's conversion story. Jesus reveals himself to Paul on the Damascus road. And and we won't go into a lot of detail on that whole encounter, but instead for our purposes this morning, with Acts 8.3 in mind, now just notice the first couple statements that Jesus says to Saul, Paul. Look at your Bibles, Acts 9.4 and 5. So so bright light shines in verse 3, and then verses 4 and 5. And falling to the ground... Saul, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so maybe you're seeing how this has big implications on us being the body of Christ. Because although the phrase body of Christ isn't here, do you see see what is here? Because remember, from Acts 8, it is clear that Saul is ravaging the church. He's ravaging individual men and women who trust in Jesus. And yet, when Jesus reveals himself to Saul, what does he say? Not, why are you persecuting my people? Nor, why are you persecuting those men and women? Nor even, why are you persecuting the church, my church? All of those would have been good and made sense. But instead, in verse 4, Jesus clearly says, Why are you persecuting me? Which is an amazing statement. And then in verse 4, if that even weren't enough, that then is reemphasized and confirmed then in verse 5 by Jesus, where Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? Because remember, Saul believed in God. He believed in the, the Lord God of his Bible. And so the question of, Who are you, Lord? is a big deal to him, and it's a big deal to all of us. And so who is God? Who is the Lord? Well, he's Jesus, which in itself is a huge statement. But not only that, quote, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Which means, again, God, Jesus, is intimately connecting himself and his identity and who he is to his church and their identity, and who they are, which is still true today. And so that's our first section, looking at a couple places 
the New Testament to see this idea. And remembering, if you're really wanting to apply those truths more, in our third section, we're going to be bringing everything together and seeing what it means for us. But that's our first section, but that now leads to our second section. And for this, we'll now finally be back in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. So now, if you're in the book of Acts, turn back to 1 Corinthians 12, 12, to the right in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. And here now, we are going to look just at our one main verse this morning in verse 12 and to see what it has to teach us about being the body of Christ. And just so you know, the only reason we're focusing on only one verse from 1 Corinthians 12 this morning is because in many ways, this verse is almost like a summative topic sentence of this whole passage. And so look down, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. What does it mean that you are the body of Christ? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So, so to begin on this verse, we need to know why Paul is bringing this body idea up here in 1 Corinthians. And if we were teaching verse by verse through 1 Corinthians, this would be obvious. But in basic, it's helpful to know that what's been going on with these people in this church in Corinth is, is a lot of spiritual gifts, but then also, sadly, a lot of disunity and pride and making it a lot about themselves. And so it is with that in mind that Paul brings up this body idea. And quickly then, what is amazing about that is Paul is saying to this divided and in many ways prideful church, you are the body of Christ. Even with all their sin, most of them genuinely knew and trusted Jesus and the gospel. And so they were really loved, they were forgiven, and they were Christ's body. But then again, what does that mean? Well, notice a few things here now in just this one verse. First, notice how this verse brings up twice the body has many members. Many members. And, and importantly on that, though, that word members is just the word for body part. And so what the Bible is saying here is that the church is a body and the analogy, though, doesn't just stop there. Instead, this body analogy is so specific to the point that this body also is comprised of many different body parts, just like our bodies are. And so that's this idea of member. So it's body parts. And briefly, that is important for us to really understand because, because we probably hear the word members, and especially membership, especially membership in church, and we can't think of it kind being like a club or like some sort of association. Because for us in English now, the word members and membership mainly are now club and association words. But to be clear, biblically, meaning in God's usage of the term through his apostles in Greek, in the New Testament, the word member is not a club word. <laughs> Let me say that again. The word member is not a club word. Rather, it's literally just the word for body part. And I saw some scholars as I was studying that this week, even therefore, decide to translate this verse, not as many members, because of the confusion that can bring, but instead the body's made up of, quote, many ligaments and organs. Because <laughs> that's the point. The body has many body parts. And that's why, by the way, concerning the subtitle of the series, the word partnership is used, because we could use the word membership, like we did last year in our We Are the Church series, but in reality, it's about body parts. And I know partnership doesn't mean exactly the same thing as membership, but at least it has a trace of that idea of a part and partner. But all that said, that's the first thing here. In the body, the church has many different body parts, which, to be clear, are individual people. 
which leads to the second thing on this verse. And that's how now notice that talking about the body having many parts doesn't just get across that we all matter and that we're all different. That's true, and we'll talk about that more later in our series. But actually, perhaps even more so, it's interesting that the fact that our different body parts emphasizes our unity, our unity. Because notice, that's actually the emphasis on this verse. Because there are many members, and yet Paul is clear, the body is one. And all the members, the parts, though many, are one body. And that then shows us that this body of Christ idea, there are individual parts there, but they are unified for a specific purpose. Right, and that makes sense because to use the analogy, right, even with our own bodies, we all have different body parts. Right? We, we can and, and we sometimes do focus on and learn about each of them and, and what they do. But when, when all is said and done, why each body part matters isn't mainly because of what that body part does on its own. But it's how those body parts work with other body parts to make up a healthy living body. And so it is with the body of Christ, his church. Which, by the way, is humbling to those of us who want to be prone to think that it's all about us. And that truth is exalting to those of us who think that we don't really matter. And by the way, that's also another reason why partnership is probably a better word for us to use than membership because of body parts, but then also because partnership really does get across that idea of unity towards a common goal. But that then brings us to the third and last thing on this verse. And that's how it ends with that. So it is with Christ. And that's significant because this means, remember, we're not just talking about any sort of body here. We're talking about being Christ's body. And then on top of that, this is in the next verse, but notice Paul's next breath then is, so it is with Christ for or because in one spirit. And so he then brings up another person of the Trinity, the person of the Spirit, with him coming up twice in verse 13. And so it's, so it is with Christ, we're his body, because in one spirit. And we'll talk about that more in our third section. But that's then just verse 12. And again, we won't fully apply that here and now because we're about to in our third section, but quickly on all that, just looking at that verse 12, Reading that with that emphasis, now you see it on individuals, but also on unity. It does perhaps give us insight as to why our Lord Jesus, when choosing the word he would use to talk about his people, he chose the word church. Church. There's many options, and he chose church. Because remember, as we already mentioned earlier, the word church in your Bibles is simply the word for a group of people assembled. Or better yet, persons assembled. And so that means church isn't a building ever in the New Testament. Because biblically, building can't be a gathered people. <laughs> Nor is church a worship service then in the New Testament. Biblically, we don't go to church, although I know it's okay we kind of talk like that. Nor, and perhaps most important some of us in this room because of our upbringing, nor is church, according to Jesus' uses of the word, nor is church some hierarchical institution with all these religious and beautiful things, which honestly some, even very large, so-called Christian institutions have made the word. Instead, in the Bible, in the original Greek, in God's word, church is simply the individual people together. And, and the point is, that's basically what we see emphasized here in verse 12. 
What is the body? Well, it's the individual people who are body parts and they all matter. But as for the church, it's not some fancy institution, but it's the people who trust and love Jesus and gathering. They are one body in Christ. They are really connected to Christ in some way and they have the spirit. Which all then, now finally, leads us to our third and final section. And here again, we are going to be bringing everything together and answering our question, what does then you are the body of Christ mean? And especially, what does it mean for you and for me? And so to begin bringing everything together, after everything we've seen, now we can hopefully agree that concerning this idea that you are the body of Christ, most basically, it is, in a sense, an analogy. Right, an analogy, because Jesus Christ physically still does have a body. And so we are the body of Christ by analogy. And yet also, though, I think we need to acknowledge that it is an analogy, but also in a sense it refers to a real reality. A real reality, meaning it isn't merely an analogy. Rather, it's in the Bible because it means something real, amazingly real, real for Christ and real for you and me. And so what might that be? Well, that's the question. And so take everything we've seen and adding a little bit more to it. Here are five things quickly which build on top of each other concerning what you are the body of Christ means in reality, both concerning Christ and concerning you and me. And I hope this will help. Five things. Number one, to start, most basically, you are the body of Christ means that we are saved by and connected to Jesus in the gospel, but it does not mean that we've replaced Jesus' body. We've already talked about that, but again, that's an important starting point. Number two, pressing this further, though, as to how, though, we are actually Christ's body, this you are the body of Christ clearly means that being saved, Christ is, though, really with us and in us. And he's in and with us by his spirit. And I I think that makes between Christ and the Spirit makes sense of why you saw in verse 12 Paul talks about Christ and then he right away after saying we're Christ's body goes to talking about four in one spirit because the idea is Christ is really with us in us by his Spirit third person of the Trinity but then number three even building on that it's just that Christ is with us and in us by the Spirit, but specifically, He's with us through spiritual gifts. Because remember, that is the context here of 1 Corinthians 12. And so the idea, if this makes sense, is that Christ is with us and in us, and He works through us by His Spirit. And I think that then takes this all a step further, because Christ's church then, us here at ECC then, we aren't just He's with and He's in by His Spirit, but Christ also by his spirit works through us with gifts we have to serve one another, to care for one another, to love him, to love the world. And that makes sense then of why perhaps the Bible calls us Christ's body because we are vessels where he dwells and where he literally physically acts here on this earth. Which leads number four to where and how this all happens. And it's again the fact that the body isn't just individual people. Although each of us, if we trust in Jesus, we are a body part. But instead, Christ's body is actually the church. It's when his people get together and gather. Which means none of us individually is Christ's body. But we are together. 
And so that's four of the five things concerning what this you are the body of Christ means. We're really Christ's body in a sense, and he's with us by his spirit and in us, and he works through us, and that body happens, not individually, but when we gather together. And in many ways, most of those are things we have already seen together. But that all leads, number five, to something we specifically haven't talked about yet, but I wanted to save it for last. And that's number five. This all happens, yes, in the universal body of Christ. Meaning, if you're familiar with that term, meaning with all of our brothers and sisters from all over the world and all time who genuinely trust in Jesus. We all together make up Christ's universal body. That's true. But also, biblically and mainly in our lives as Christians, number five, this you are the body of Christ reality happens in local churches. In local churches. And really, if, if you have been spacing out a little bit, this is the time to come back in because, because this is, I think, where it really is applicable to us. And it's, and it's fascinating. Because think about how this works, right? The, the body of Christ, this, this body of Christ is true of what we call the universal church. Meaning everyone from everywhere who's ever trusted in Jesus, we are the body of Christ. But then think about this. These same apostles who taught that Christ's universal body is the universal church, also, they would then write letters to local churches. Meaning, they, they wrote letters to smaller groups of believers who gathered in places like Ephesus or Corinth or in the region of Galatia or wherever. They'd write to those Christians, and here's the point. They wrote and they didn't call those gatherings a little part of the church of Christ. They didn't say, for example, that the smaller group of, church, of, of believers in Corinth was just a part of the church. That, that would have made sense if the church was only the universal church. If that was only the body. But they didn't say that. Instead, what did Jesus' apostles make clear? Well, they taught about the universal church, absolutely. But then they were clear that each Local church is a church as well. I mean, they even wrote things like here in Corinth to the church in Corinth. And that applies to this idea of the body then because it means that when Paul wrote like here in 1 Corinthians and he said, you are the body of Christ to the quote, the Corinthian church, he's saying the body of Christ isn't just the universal church. Instead, you, Corinthian church, you are the body of Christ is amazing and so it is for us and that's then how this body of Christ idea mainly primarily manifests itself for Christians and for us here and now and, and that really is important for us to know because that means when we hear the body of Christ we aren't supposed to mainly think of just Christians everywhere there's no meat on that bones that's it's good to think about especially when we're thinking about things like missions it's, it's a beautiful thought but when it comes to your and my and every individual christian's place as a body part in christ's body it must be in the local church full stop because again paul was saying you corinthian church you're the body of christ and so it is for us, same way to ECC, we are the body of Christ, meaning we are a group of Christians who trust Jesus, who each individual or body parts, but then who gather, who serve and love one another, and we do it together, making us a local body of Jesus Christ. 
which finally then implies a few brief takeaways for us. And this is now our answer then to what does this really mean for you, for me? So I want to make it explicit. And these are things we'll be talking about throughout our series, but a few takeaways. First, this all means, let's be clear, that Jesus' plan then is not and never was to just have individuals who trust him. That's true. But more than that, Jesus always intended there to be local churches, local gatherings who are filled with individual body parts who gather together to make up his local bodies. Meaning each individual local church is Jesus' plan to be his physical presence here on earth. That's his plan. Not individuals, not pastors, not missionaries, not famous people. Each local church is Christ's body. Which means the takeaway for us, if you are a Christian, you are supposed to be a part, a body part in a local church. It's Jesus' plan. It's how he mainly works. Second, that then means practically that church membership really does matter. Not, not just because you're showing your to a church that, that's true, but rather it matters because think about it. This is Jesus' plan. That if you're a follower of him, you're only a body part. <laughs> then, then it means that in who you and I are now as Christians, we must be part of a local body. Or, or else we're just a wandering around body part <laughs> and not the body of Christ. And that's why, by the way, I and really most solid biblical scholars think that basically 100% in the Bible that active church membership is not optional for any Christian. What is optional is which local church or how long you attend a gathering before you join as a body part. But biblically, active church membership, that sounds intense because we hear club. The active church membership is just acknowledging what the Bible says is true. Right, that Jesus' plan is to have individual people who gather with other believers, that each of us on our own is only a body part, and that therefore we are called and need to be a body part within a local body. And that then leads to a third and final takeaway in all this. And we'll talk about this more and more throughout our series, and that's that all this means that we need to know that church isn't primarily a worship service on Sunday. Nor is it a building, nor is it some big institution, but it is us. It's us who trust in Jesus, who come together, and who, yes, do participate in worship services where we sing and pray and give and hear from God's word and worship like we're doing right now. But that's not it. That's, that's not actually church. Rather, the church is the people here. And again, each of us are only body parts, and so we physically gather together, yes, on Sunday, but also throughout our lives, and we do so for Jesus' sake and to love and to serve one another and to love the world, all because together we are the body of Christ. And so that's our answer to our question, church, about the body of Christ this morning. I hope it's helpful because that's who we are as a local church. Which, although, as we now come to a close, leads to one last thing on all this to mention. And I, and I want to end with this because this is really encouraging to me as it was this week on this subject, and I hope it is to you as well. And that's that what's also so great about this biblical concept of the body of Christ is that with everything we've seen being true, especially with each local church really being Christ's body, where he is by his spirit and where he works, with that being true, that means that technically for Christ, Christ himself to work fully through his people, and for him to amazingly have a local body, what doesn't matter is actually how big the church is. How big or numerous the church is. And I think this is an interesting point, an encouraging one. 
Because you want to think of it this way, the idea of the local church being the body of Christ does mean that when people gather in a local church, Christ can work through them and he does through them as his body. But when we hear that, we can sometimes think about, okay, so Christ works through his people gathered, and then we can be prone to think that he therefore must work more powerfully through bigger churches because there's more people in the churches. But, but do you see how that actually does not fit with the biblical picture of the body of Christ? Because each local church is Christ's body. And individuals are not Christ's body. And so as for a church, it doesn't actually necessarily matter how many body parts it has. Especially because more body parts does not necessarily make a body healthier. Because if there's more body parts, those body parts could be not working in harmony and make it less healthy. And the Bible never says this local church, because it's a thousand people, is Christ's bigger body. That doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. We talk about that, but Christ is Christ. You get it? And each church is Christ's body. Each assembly is a group of body parts he can work through. And so that means, to be clear, whenever there is a true local church of Jesus Christ who loves and trusts him because of who he is and what he's done in the gospel, whether it be 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, thousands of people, that church then is the body of Christ, which is amazing. And by the way, we see this even in the New Testament where, for example, the church in Jerusalem, where it started, gathered outside, and they had thousands of people, while the church in Corinth seemed to gather in someone's house, house and was much smaller in number. But each had its body parts, and they both as a whole constituted Christ's body, which is where he was and where he worked. And so for us, I am, and I hope you are encouraged by that, because let's, let's be honest. We are far from being a hugely numerically big church. But that is okay. Because first, a church, a body's faithfulness is not determined by its size. But not only that, but also second, because every local church is the body of Christ. And that means that in the end, what doesn't matter is how many necessarily individual body parts we have. Yes, we want to reach people and grow and and. and and it's important, but technically, numbers have no effect on a local church being Christ's body and where Christ works. <laughs> Instead, what matters is the truth that we are saved and okay and loved and secure in Christ, that Jesus Christ reigns right now, and that we gather together. Amazingly, here at ECC, we are the body of Christ.